Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Amen. Before we get started this morning, a couple things I want to do. First and foremost, I want to welcome Shannon back. Amen. We're glad you're back. Hallelujah. Amen. We've been praying for Shannon for quite some time, and we're glad to see you here and, and that uh, God's answering prayer. Amen. Amen. The other thing that I want to do is I want to say to all of the, the young adult here, um, if you're here from the age of 20 to 40-ish in that area, uh, I just want to tell you how important this group is. Um, we're doing this book. We're going through this book. Now, we've got, actually, there's some DVDs that we're showing. We're having discussion. And this is a book that deals with a subject that's really, really important on identity. And, and it's something that I've gone through several times myself. It's a book that I've read several times. And it's very, very rich. So I want to encourage all the young adult to come out. We have a great time of fellowship, and we have food and and different things that are going on there and uh, just getting together and doing things. And so I want to encourage, uh, um, if you're in that age group, to come on out. That's going to be in room number eight. It's on the back side of the other building, and you'll see it's clearly marked room number eight. And so we have a good time. That's at 6.30 on Thursday. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to a couple portions of Scripture, but we'll be getting to that. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bible, whether you have an electronic device or whether you still have the written word, um, if you're still old school, um, it's James chapter 1, verse 26, James chapter 3, verse 2, and Psalms 141, verse 3. I will be showing it on the screen, uh, but if you have your Bibles and like to follow along, that's, that's okay. I want to this morning to <clears throat> minister a message um, and a thought that I've, I've ministered before. This is not a new thought for me. This is something that I've ministered before. But I believe it's one of those themes that we must visit often. How many know there's things in the Bible that we have to continually remind ourselves about? It's one of those things that uh, just through the processes of life, it's very easy to set this aside or to diminish its importance or whatever it is. And so every now and then we have to come back and we have to relook at these issues. Now, this message this morning is one of those messages, and we, we preach them from time to time, and I like to call it a tune-up. How many know what a tune-up is? We, we've all, we all know what a tune-up In cars, we get our cars tuned up, but probably we see it better, more, this is more accurate to a computer. Have you ever had a computer go slow on you? I mean, just, you know, computers are designed to get what I call barnacles. After a period of time of use and you're traveling around on the internet and loading programs and back and forth, it just seems to get loaded up with debris. And the disk drive gets full and the memory gets full and on and on. Well, they sell programs. They're called tune-up programs. And the whole purpose of that is to get the computer back in line, to, to uh, get it working at its peak performance. And for us this morning, this message will serve to do just that. I'm hoping and praying that what this message will do is help to get your heart, your mind, and your spirit back in line. I, I, what I really hope is that there is a readjusting, a repositioning for greater strength, for clearer inspiration, and for a closer 
walk. And the title of this message, and you guys can put that up on the board, is called Taming the Tongue. Now, I know, I know. Every person that's been around in church any length of time, you're going, great. I knew today, this is, you know, Memorial Day weekend. I could have stayed home and just blamed it on the weekend. But let me tell you something. This is an entirely, severely, absolutely, and any other adjective you can think of, important message. I cannot tell you this morning how important this message is. See, too often in the Christian community, the idea of how we speak is overlooked. Yep. The problem with Christians is we learn how to avoid the overt kind of sin. We, there's a lot of things that we don't... See, Christians, here's part of the problem. Christians are more known for what they're against than what they're for. Because we've just learned, we don't, you know, we don't do that, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do that. We do. Well, what do you do? Oh, we, we go to church. And, you know, to the greater world, they go, really, that's what you do for fun? That's why we need to make church fun, you know what I'm saying? Come on. But the reality is, this morning, what we fail to look at are those things in our lives, like how we speak, as being just as deadly and just as destructive in our lives as any kind of overt sin. We need to pay attention to this. And I'm convinced, this morning, that because we have such a hard time appreciating this reality that in the end our words or the way we speak really does become the source of many of our problems. I'm convinced today that if we would learn to speak better we wouldn't have many of the challenges and the difficulties that we have. The problem is we just have gotten lazy. Can you say amen? Now, over the years, <clears throat> there have been many different organizations that have sponsored contests to look at things like warning labels. And the Michigan Lawsuit Abuse Watch Center has one of these contests. And every year, the people put in their entry, and it's what they do is the most absurd warnings. And so here are their top ten. Now remember, this is absurd warnings. Now I love these. <clears throat> it was found on a snowblower one time. A warning. Do not use this snowblower on the roof. I, I'm thinking that sounds solid advice. There was another warning label on a dishwasher. It says, do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. It's good advice. I mean, I'm just thinking... There was a warning on a clothes iron that had this warning. It said, never iron clothes while being worn. I'm thinking, if you've ever done that, you'll know why. Once on a Superman costume, it said, warning, 
Cape does not enable user to fly. <laughs> On a bottle of hair coloring, there was a warning label that said, do not use as ice cream topping. It's good, good advice. On a cardboard sunshield for a car, it said, do not drive with sunshield in place. Just saying. On a toner cartridge, it says, do not eat toner. I don't know about you, these solid, good advice. On a foldable baby stroller, it said, caution. Remove infant before folding for storage. And now my personal favorite. In a microwave oven manual, do not use to dry pets. Now why would, why would they make these labels? Doesn't it seem obvious enough to you that you shouldn't use these products in this way? Well, of course it seems obvious. I mean, come on. I, you know, can you imagine going into the office and there's, you know, Joe, and he's got black around his mouth? It's like, have you been eating the toner again? Come on. That stuff is expensive. Or, I mean, you know, who in their right mind was sitting there with the Clairol color, hair color, you know, strawberry red going, this is good ice cream topping. Look at this, man. It makes it look good. I, but somebody, you know somebody had to do it. <coughs> and furthermore, somebody sued somebody because somebody didn't warn somebody that you're not supposed to use clear all color for ice cream topping. Are you, are you hearing what I'm talking about? You know somebody has done this. One man put it this way. He says, the desire to make something foolproof vastly underestimates the creativity of fools. Have you ever seen a sign on a wall that said, wet paint? You can count on it. There's always a fingerprint in the paint. I don't believe that sign. There ain't no wet paint there. Oh, there's wet paint. Oh, my gosh. Duh. Come on. It said no wet. It said wet paint. Don't touch. Well, so it is with the Bible. The Bible often states the obvious because many times we are oblivious to the real danger of life. Listen to me. But here's the scary part. But even when the Bible states something that's obvious, we have such a hard time accepting it. We will pay more attention to the warning label on a sweater that says, wash in delicate wash, than we will the warnings in the Bible. Come on now. And this sermon this morning deals with a very real warning. And it's something that we all need to hear. See, in this generation, we've become a people that have believed the lie that says talk is cheap. Let me tell you something. Talk is not cheap. Talk can be very expensive. Talk can be very destructive. 
See, we've grown complacent, even apathetic, concerning what we say and what we talk about. Our words, our conversations, the topic of our discussion, our communications, the the verbal reactions that we have, have become flippant and casual and even careless. And in, in many ways, we've become downright lazy when it comes to the words that we speak, whether we are unaware or whether we've just grown unconcerned about the power of our words, we just don't take it much for consideration. And the result is our words, our conversations, our decisions, and our discussions, and our reactions have become in the end toxic. I want you to listen to this. This is something that I've preached before, but it bears saying again. If there is one area where most Christians struggle... It's with the words of their mouth. It's what's coming out of our mouth. See, for some, it has undermined their hope for success in very subtle ways. But for others, it has caused more trouble than they care to admit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So in this message this morning, I want to help you to identify the truth about your words. So let's look at our texts, three of them. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're just fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Wow. James 3, 2 says, We all make mistakes, but those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. Psalms 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, on my mouth... Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, what is this saying? The reason I picked these verses is because he's saying, first and foremost, you can have a great doctrine, you can speak all these wonderful things, and you can have this dynamic of of religion, but if the words of your mouth are uncontrolled, you're just fooling yourself, and everything you are is nullified because of your words. (coughs) And then he goes on and he says, we all make mistakes. He says, but those that have learned to control their tongue, they can control every area of their life. You know, there's a reciprocal involved here that would say this. When you control your tongue, you control every area of your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then he goes on and he says, God, I need your help. Get the duct tape out, Lord, and set a guard on my mouth. Watch the door of my lips. It's true. We all need this. There's not a person in this room that has not had trouble in this way. See, the reason I think we have so much trouble with our words is because we forget the power that's involved in our words. Now listen to me, because I'm going to make some very clear points. See, we nonchalantly spew out words of anger, bitterness, criticism, sarcasm, profanity, And doubt, and the list could go on and on, as though they have no impact in our lives or the lives of others. And then we clean it up with this. Oh, I was just joking. I just had to get things off my chest. I was just venting. Look at I'm a straight shooter, and I just call it like I see it. I knew it would be quiet. (laughs) Proverbs 18, 20 and 21 in the Amplified Version says this, A man's moral self shall be filled with the fruit of his mouth, 
And with the consequence of his words, he must be satisfied whether good or evil. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. What you have to understand is the words that are coming out of your mouth produce death or they produce life. And you will either be satisfied with it or you will eat the consequences of it. That's what that scripture is saying. That's powerful. See, when you think about what you say, when you take inventory of your words, when you sit back and you go, wait a second, how am I speaking? All of a sudden you go, whoa, 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 time out. This is pretty tough stuff here. Amen. So why are you doing this, Pastor? Because I love you. Because I want to help you. And because I cannot tell you how many verses in the Bible talk about the words we speak. There was so much in here. I had, I normally, when I write notes on sermons, it's usually five pages. This one's eight. Wow. So why is that? Because well, it's, it's too much. I could go weeks and weeks and weeks. Why? Because God is concerned about the words that we speak. See, your words can either express or they can repress. They can release or they can restrain. They can enlighten or they can obscure. They can offend or they can befriend. They can build or they can belittle. They can confront or they can criticize. They can delight or they can destroy. The choice is yours. Are you hearing me? See, most people, they seriously underestimate this power. They underestimate it and they just say, you know, it just doesn't matter. No, it absolutely matters. In the book of James, James tells us that the tongue is a small part of the body, but it can do big things. In James chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, the Message Bible says this, A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds, and a word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. Listen to that verse. He says it can nearly get anything done or it can destroy anything. It's a little, it's a little thing with a big power. Can you say amen? amen? James is telling us that something very small can steer something very large. It directs our faith. How many know your words will direct your faith? Your faith will either be built or undermined by your words. The Bible says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. But out of whose mouth is it coming? Amen, mine, yours. We can either speak the word of God and build faith or we could speak something else and undermine faith. Your healing can be realized or overlooked because of the words of your mouth. Right. Your marriage can be built up or destroyed. I'm telling you, many times marriages struggle because of words, because of the way they talk to one another. 
your success, your family, your growth, your relationships, on and on and on, are all driven by your words. Jack Hayford tells a story about a moment in his life when he had a crisis and he's never forgotten. He said it happened one afternoon right after, he says, I drove away from the church, having just left his office. He said, I had pulled out of the parking lot and was heading down the street when directly ahead of me, another driver did a bizarre stunt with his vehicle that nearly caused a horrible collision. He says, I was so angry at the craziness of it and being there alone in my car, I hollered out in fury and frustration and swore at the other driver, calling him a very unkind name. Not being a profane person, I saw the words as only indicating my indignation at the recklessness of the driver. With my window closed, I suppose my comment was somehow an allowable venting of my anger. However, I immediately discovered that God didn't agree with my self-serving excuse as the Holy Spirit gripped my soul with this chastising saying, I have created no one, no human being by that description. I drove on, but I felt a wound within because I knew I had grieved the heart of God. I continued meditating on my failure, inquiring within uh, myself of my surprise and asking myself, what difference did my words make? Nobody else was in the car and that driver didn't hear me. <clears throat> but the answer was obvious. The Lord heard me. And he made it clear that those words of mine had the power to give place to an attitude. An attitude set loose in the spiritual realm and with the power to shape something, even warp something inside of me if I allowed that kind of thing. So I repented. Quickly I responded, Lord, forgive me for saying that about that man. Forgive me for failing to recognize how mighty the power is that you've invested and placed within your child and in my tongue. Let me always be careful what I permit to be transmitted through it. See, our words carry more weight than most of us can imagine. Words are fundamental to life. They are the instruments in causing things to live or die. Very little is more important in the life of, of Christ and in the kingdom of God than the power of our words. Everything exists because of words. It's a phenomenal truth. In Genesis, we read about the creative power of God and what he did is spoke things into existence. He said, light be and light was. It's the verbal activity of God and it literally decreed our existence into place, into reality. But even more remarkable than that, God gave that ability to you and I. <laughs> now, I know that we're not creating planets and stars and suns, but you create the reality of your world yes. with your mouth. Yes. Thank you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The words we speak are to be creative and dynamic and powerful in the world in which we live. And the Bible says that no word that you or I speak is without significant significance. Our words count big time. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37 says, Jesus speaking, he says, But I say unto you that every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by the words of your mouth you'll be justified, by the words you'll be condemned. Amen. That's powerful, church. That's powerful. There is going to be an accounting of our words, every word. Not just the words 
here or there, every word. And here's the problem. Our struggle is not with words that edify or, 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 or identify or multiply. Our problem is with toxic words. Words that are filled with poison, venom, and death. And sometimes what we need to do is we need to do a test and say, what is coming out of my mouth? We need to, we need to check the, 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 the alkali of our words. Are they acid? Do they burn? Do they sting? We need to listen to the words we speak and see what they tell us about our lives. You know what's funny is the last time I went to the doctor for a checkup, one of the things that he asked me to do was stick out my tongue. Uh, evidently, there's something about the condition of my tongue that indicates something going on in my body. <laughs> James says that's true as well. It's true in the spiritual realm. See, if you want to see where a person is spiritually, examine their words. The tongue trips us up, and it reveals who we are. In James chapter 3, verses 9 and 12 in the Message Bible, it says, With our tongues we bless God our Father. And with the same tongue we curse the very men and women made in His image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring does not gush fresh water one day and brackish water the next. Apple trees don't bear strawberries. Black, bush, or black raspberries do not bear apples. You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a clear cup of water. You gotta, you gotta love scripture, right? That's that's Jesus talking. That it's not John Poole talking. What is he saying? He says the tongue is revealing something very important about you, and it's revealing your heart. This is what exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew twelve thirty four. He says, "For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." In other words, the condition of our heart determines the content of our words. Right on. Right on. Come on now. Now look at, some of you might be going, what are you doing, man? You're just hammering. I'm not hammering you. This is like saying, don't eat the toner. Don't get Guido out of the microwave. Come on. It is true. We're always praying, God, I just, would you please ease things up? God, help me. I'm struggling. Things are so difficult. And God says, you are in control of the thermostat. Right. You are the one I gave it to you. The reason you're having problems or the reason you're having success is because of the flap below your nose. See, toxic words reveal a toxic heart. And so let's take some time to look at some troubled areas. Because I thought about this, and I thought, you know, one of the things that, that, that I think sometimes in these sermons is, is that we talk about this, and we talk about it in terms of to this point, but then we don't go and identify things. And so I could go on, because look, there is great hope here. Great hope. You say, well, how do I change this? It's very simple. Put the Word of God into you. Put the Word of God in your heart. Guess what comes up in the bucket? The, the answer is simple. 
I've got to put something different into my life. I see the influence of my life, what comes in my ears, my eyes, all of those things. If, if, I'm, if I'm watching garbage on TV, guess what's coming up in the bucket? If, 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 I'm, if I'm listening to all kinds of negative stuff, guess what comes up in the bucket? But if I put the word of God in, guess what comes up in the bucket? So the answer, the solution is easy. But the problem is, is oftentimes we walk away from a sermon like that going, I'm sure glad those folks got that. <laughs> As if you don't need it. So what I thought I would do is just take a little bit of time and pin this down. So number one, trouble areas. Number one, negative words. You ever met somebody negative? You know what negative words reveal? Negative words reveals a heart that's struggling with faith and trust. Now listen to me. Words are seeds. You need to understand that. And they're seeds that we sow that will bear fruit. And our lives are the product of those seeds. And if we're going to be victorious, if we're going to have an abundant life, then we have to guard the words. If if you don't want weeds in your garden, stop planting them. Thank you. Thank you. Doggone it, all I got is weeds. This stinking ground in Arizona can't grow nothing but weeds. Dude, shut up. Start speaking your life. I speak life into this ground. Life, abundance. You say, oh, that's just stupid. No, that's Bible. We must plant good seed. We cannot indulge, listen, in the seduction of the negative. what does that mean? See, negative is, how many know, negative sells. Yeah. All we have to hear, is, if you hear sirens, right now, if you were to hear sirens, your ears would perk up and go, I wonder what's going on. <laughs> and if you were in your car, I'm going to go see what's going on. You ask any, any, any first responder, whether it be fire or emergency, you know, ambulance or police Man, whenever there's an accident or anything, there's always looky-loos. It's what causes more accidents. Why? Everybody's rubbernecking. Oh, I got to see the negative. Look at there. What happened? I am, so, I am so seduced by the negative. One time I had, there was a guy that got in a car wreck right down the street from us. I was afraid to go talk to the police officer, so I got little Andy. Go ask him what's going on. Andy is not afraid of nothing. He just walks over there, pulls on his shirt and says, hey, what happened? And the amazing thing is the officer gave him a full report. <laughs> well, let me just tell you, son, here's the notes I took. And it's like he came back and Andy reported to me and I was happy. Why? Because it's negative. We're seduced by it. Look at front page newspaper. We sell newspapers. Why? Negative. You know, good things buried. Page 14. We are seduced by the negative. We love it. We love it. If it's negative, ooh, that was juicy. Mm. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know what that word corrupt? It literally means rotten, putrefied, no longer fit for use, worn out, poor quality, bad, and worthless. Oh, 
So let no negative word proceed out of your mouth. And negative words are an expression of a heart that's struggling with faith and trust because they're very toxic. See, what happens is we get, I don't know, you know. I don't know if it'll ever happen. You know, I got some hopes and dreams, but I, I don't know. I don't know if you can get there from here. I don't know. I don't know. Doctors say, this is what they say. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, this is what my banker says. I don't, I don't know. I, you, have you seen Credit Karma lately? Have you seen my credit score? I didn't know there was a 300. I, I, you know, I, I thought it ended at 450. I, I, I have to pay for free stuff. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just, it's just negative. And we get caught in it. It's because we're not trusting. We don't, we don't believe we're any good. We don't believe we deserve anything. You've probably heard it said, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Wrong. A lie from the pit of hell. Because words can have such powerful impact, they can last for a lifetime. Let me ask you a question. What if, what if we decided to get away from the seduction of the negative and started to season our communication with positive, encouraging words? What if we decided to permanently close our ears to the negative and to the pessimistic and tuned into what God was saying about us and what we can do? What if we stopped believing the curses of the enemy and started believing the Word of God? Well, I think we would see self-esteem rise. Suicide would probably plummet. Discouragement would be transformed into encouragement. Peace of mind would overshadow depression and defeat would turn into victory. Negative. It's so easy to travel in the negative. How about number two? Complaining. (laughs) Do you notice how really quiet it got there? There was a few little chuckles and those were just nervous ones. Complaining reveals a heart that has grown ungrateful. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. (laughs) That's a warning label that we just don't pay attention to. In everything, in everything, the Greek word for everything is everything. (laughs) Stay away from complaining and arguing, so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. One of the reasons you're being blamed for stuff is because you complain about everything. You need to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. Do you understand bright, shining lives accompany a conversation that is thankful, not complaining? See, complaining begins with a thought of discouragement or discontentment that grows into a a word of dissatisfaction. And these words of dissatisfaction, they mature into a habit of complaining. And in the end, the habit of complaining becomes a curse of destruction. And the bottom line is, it's a spiritual problem that has very, very deep roots. And it reveals a heart that has grown ungrateful. See, discontentment magnifies what is past 
and vilifies what is present. Now listen, without regard to truth or reason. I'm going to get on Facebook here in just a minute because we have created something with Facebook. And I know the, 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 the powers that be in Facebook are trying to take it back. But Facebook has become a place where we can vent the negative and complain with no repercussion and without context and with a level of anonymity. See, the person that has a discontented heart has the attitude that everything they do for God is too much and everything God does for them is too little. And you know what the danger of complaining is? It will rob you of your joy. It will destroy your peace. It will hinder your forward progress. It will undermine your faith. And it will bring about a curse that will make you vulnerable. Are you hearing me? A complaining and ungrateful heart were the seeds of discontentment that bore the fruit of doubt in the children of Israel. And then the result was they never entered the promised land. Think about the children of Israel for a moment. They're on the border, ready to go into the promised land. But they, have, they, they created a habit of complaining. You know, they were like, you brought us out here because there wasn't enough graves in Egypt. And, you know, there's, you know, we just long for the leeks and the onions. And, you know, back, we, want, we love slavery. Why did you deliver us? <laughs> you know, it's like a, a guy going, hey, you know, I'm going to go to jail because at least I get three meals in a bed. Right. And it's kind of the same thing. It's a mindset. And there'll be sermons I'll be dealing with this later. But the, the reality is, is, is that we get into that mindset and we get thinking. And what happens is because we complain about our present, we lose the ability to see the promise. All we can then see is the problem in the promise. And so they go, into the, they go into the promised land and they go, look at there's giants there with fortified cities. And we, in our own sight, are just grasshoppers. Why? Because they trained themselves to believe the negative. All about how they talked. What if, this morning, we became thankful and grateful? I'll tell you, if you do, a door of the presence of God will open up to you that you've never seen before. You say, well, you don't understand my life. No, there's just because you, just the fact that you live in America, you should stand being thankful. The fact that you can praise God, the fact that you're here, the fact that Jesus is in your life is enough to thank him for forever. We have nothing to complain about. Life's pretty good. Can you say amen? Amen. Another area, number three, sarcasm. Reveals a heart that is angry, bitter, and hurt. It's been said that sarcasm is the lowest form of humor. See, when we use sarcasm, we strangely think that we're clever. We may joke and we may even get a little chuckle and laugh from somebody. But in doing so, what we've done is we've drawn other people into our poison. The problem with sarcasm is it's barbed and it's loaded and it's usually offensive. And the victims of sarcasm are always belittled and put down in some way. They're ridiculed and they're mocked. 
The word sarcasm comes from a French word that literally means to tear flesh like a dog. And most of the time, our sarcasm is aimed at someone who, that has hurt us or frustrated us. Now, I want you to listen to a portion of Scripture that is just outstanding. It says in Psalm 64, verse 3, it says, Sharp tongues are the swords they wield. Bitter words are the arrows they aim. They shoot from ambush at the innocent and attack suddenly and fearlessly. I want to stop right there just for the moment. Because I want to talk about how that in this generation, in our current season, this is what's happening with Facebook, is there is an attack with sharp arrows, arrows that are being wielded, arrows that are being shot, a sword that's being wielded from a place of ambush. They are, they are an in, here's the problem with it, is it is always, everything that you post is out of context. We don't know enough information about the story to clearly understand what's going on. So we are left to our imagination. And if our practice is negative, if our practice is complaining, then usually our response is going to be sarcastic. He goes on and he says this, they encourage each other to do evil and plan how to set their traps. Who will ever notice, they ask. As they plot their crimes, they say, we have devised the perfect plan. Yes, the human heart and mind are cunning, but God himself, this is a warning, church, God himself will shoot them down. Suddenly, his arrows will pierce them. Their own words will be turned against them, destroying them. All who, who see it happen will shake their heads in scorn. He said, what, what is that warning? See, it's not God up in heaven. Don't get this picture. God's not up in heaven looking down at sarcastic people going, I'm going to get you. That's not what's happening. What God's showing us is he said, look, when you travel down that road, the eventual outcome is your words will turn on you. They'll turn on you and they will bite you. They will hurt you. They will start working against you. One man put it this way. (coughs) Sarcasm is the weapon of the weak and it's the language of the devil. Sarcasm is the response of a heart that is angry, bitter, and unforgiving. And the antidote to sarcasm is forgiveness. Listen to this. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Church, we can change that. You say, how do I change that? By by being forgiving. By release. Next one, I got to get moving. Gossip. You knew I was getting there. Reveals the heart that's insecure. Gossip is a particularly deadly sin. And it's destroyed more people. It's tarnished more reputations, broke more friendships, and split more churches than any other sin I'm aware of. Gossip is told quickly. It's quickly heard and spreads quickly. Worst of all, gossip is quickly believed. It's amazing. People will confess to theft, adultery, even murder, but no one ever confesses to gossip. <laughs> I can't believe it, That's Pastor. So I, man, I, I've done you. I've done unthinkable things, Pastor. I've I've done horrible stuff. You don't understand. My life was wicked. I did this, 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 this. 
But nobody ever goes, you know what, Pastor, I'm just a horrible gossip. I tell stories about everybody. You know why? Because in Christianity, and let me say this because I'm speaking to Christians today. In Christianity, we've learned to clean it up. Hey, Pastor, can I talk to you? Sure, come on in. Would you, would you pray with me about something? My neighbor, boy, I'll tell you. Let me tell you what they're doing. The reason it's so funny is because it's so, so true. true. Proverbs 18.8 says this, The words of a talebearer are like tasty truffles. They go down deep into the innermost parts of the body. You know, gossip tastes good, man. Oh, it's like eating at a, it's like eating at a dessert bar. You ever gone to a restaurant, they have a dessert bar, and there's like about 80 different things, and it has cake of every kind, ice cream and fudge, and they have fountains of chocolate. And you go, my God, we've died and went to heaven. This is great. That's what gossip is. It's like, ooh. And we clean it up so much. I'm just saying, hey, you know, I'm so concerned about brother so-and-so. We probably should get in prayer, but let's define the problem so, so we know exactly what we need to pray for. But, you know, the problem is, is in some cases, we don't even clean that up. In some cases, it's like, you know, I don't, I, have you seen Pastor Poole lately? He is so grumpy. And it tastes good. You know why? The reason why it tastes good is because generally we feel bad about ourselves. So if we could take what we feel about ourselves and project it on someone else, we feel a whole lot better. Problem is, is it goes deep into the innermost parts of the body and it becomes incredibly toxic. The New Testament Greek word for gossip is literally translated as a whisperer, a person who whispers behind your back with the intention of hurting you. A Greek scholar described a gossiper as someone who pours out his poison by whispering into our ears. And with the advent of email and Facebook and Twitter and texting, gossip is spewed forth in volumes that is uncontrollable. Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 32 says, Being filled with all, listen, just listen to the list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters. Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgivable, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. Why is that there? Why is that verse there? Because God's making a point. He's saying, look, at you can be really, really uh, aggressively against some very horrible, heinous, evil things. But he says, let me tell you something. Gossip is in the same list. Gossip reveals a heart that, say the least, is seeking to bring down in order to build themselves up. What if we did Ephesians 4, 29? Let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, but only what is good and necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. What if? i got to move quickly. I'm, uh, Jason, you can come if you want. The fifth one, profanity. <laughs> uh, Christians aren't profane. 
reveals a heart that's carnal. I didn't forget where I'm at. I'm pausing so that it sinks in. The problem is, church, is we just get too careless, don't we? See, the Bible says there, there should be change in our life. Now listen, this is not being said as a condemnation. What this is, is remember, it's a warning. It's saying, wait a second, we need to do inventory. We, Jack Hayford, he's the gold standard on theology in my mind. But here's a guy cussing in his car at somebody who pulled in front of him. We all make mistakes. What we have to do is take inventory and go, how am I speaking? Sometimes what happens is we, we travel in profanity thinking it's just no big deal. And then the next one is just like it. It's called coarse jesting. And basically what coarse jesting is, is it, it says this in Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. It says, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Basically, at the end of the day, it's talking about reveling in a dirty joke. Is is that an issue? Oh, it's an issue. Is that these are trouble areas. These are areas where Christians go, ah, it's just not that big a deal. It is a big deal. You can see by the scriptures that surround it and the verbiage that God used to describe it that this was entirely important, intensely important to him. Finally, the last one is a thing called accusation. It reveals a heart that's misinformed. Usually when we make accusation, when we accuse someone else, do you know... There's a saying, we used to tell, Brother Jeff Adams and I used to talk about this all the time. There's a saying that used to go like this, you are never more like God when you're loving or when you're giving. But we've kind of changed that a little bit. We're, no more, we're never more like God than when we're forgiving. But let me say something, you're never more like the devil than when you're accusing. He is the father of lies and the accuser of the brother. Even when you got the goods and the truth, we should refrain from accusing. It's not our job. It's way, 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 way above our pay grade. Not my job to accuse you. But what happens today in this day and age, we usually accuse people about things we know very little about. I always tell the story, I love this story, and I'll do it quickly about a businessman, a Christian businessman, worked on Wall Street. One day he had a particularly t- tough day. He decides he's, he's going home, he needs some rest, so he gets on the, the, the subway, gets in a car that's empty, and he thinks, oh, thank God, it's empty. But the next stop, very next stop, a young man with four children get on the subway car. Children are out of control. They're wild and crazy and running, acting like crazy people. And the man, just the father, just sat there with his head in his hands, doing nothing. Finally, the kids get so wild that they bash into the businessman, this Christian businessman, knock his briefcase on the floor, and the contents fall out, and he can't take it no more. So he gets up, and he walks over to the father. He says, I can't believe that you're that bad of a father. So I can't believe that you're not doing your job. He's accusing. 
And the man looks up and he says, oh, I, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. He goes, <clears throat> we just came from the hospital. Their mother just passed. I, I just don't know what to do. All of a sudden, he had more information. He had the rest of the story. And his accusation went to compassion. But I say to you, it's very rare in this life that you will get the full story. We should just default to compassion. You know, sometimes what happens, and I'm going to just use myself because it's easier to use myself. Sometimes people will say things about me. They'll go, oh, yeah, he's pretty unfriendly. He didn't say hi or nothing. Really? Did you say hi to me? I could look at you and go, you didn't say hi to me. But I don't know the rest of the story in your life, do I? He's grumpy. He's this. He's that. The problem is, is we do that and we accuse and it becomes toxic. But the problem is we just don't know the rest of the story. And what we should do is err on the side of compassion rather than accusation. Can you say amen? So in closing, I want you to look at these last three verses of scripture. Proverbs 13, 3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens his mouth or wide his lips shall have destruction. It's a warning. It's simply a warning that says, look it. If you guard your mouth, you pay attention, you'll preserve life. If not, destruction's your future. Proverbs 10, 19 says, in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains, restrains his lips is wise. Psalms 19, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We need to every day pray that prayer. Every day. Church, I preach this message to you not because I want to slam dunk people or not because I want to vent my own frustrations. I preach this because I know in my life I have to take inventory. And I know that in your life, you need to. And I know that God wants to do something powerful. And he needs people that can control their mouth. But you're not going to do it alone. That's why, our, that's why we have these bookends. God set a guard on my mouth. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. We need God in this. We need God to help us. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message. We thank you, Lord, for this word that you've given us. And Lord, we pray today that you would help us. Father, we pray, God, that you would give us just grace. And, and Lord, that, that uh, you would encourage us in this, Father. Lord, we pray that you would just um, strengthen our hearts, God. Father, that we would put in your word into our hearts so that out of our mouth we would speak things of faith and grace and strength, things of edification, comfort, and God, that comfort that comes from your spirit. And Father, we thank you, God, that you're helping us even now. We just give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.